0: Well, this morning, we have the children here in the service with us. And I actually was thinking, I was off a little bit, and I was thinking we were going to have this last week. So I had it all planned for last week and then found, oh, no, I'm a week off. They're going to be here on Communion Sunday. So we're glad to have them here. But I got some things worked out. In fact, even had to order something to come on in. And then I thought, oh, I got more time. I'll wait on that. And Wednesday came and I thought, oh, I haven't ordered that yet. So we got it all in here. We got some things for you to take a look at. Here in the Word, we wanted to go back to that uh, item that we gave you before from Genesis chapter 3, where we told you about how the sin problem caused the things that were spoken over Adam, and we looked at the natural element, but there's a spiritual element to this as well, and we want to make sure that you understand what that is. But then, as we are doing a reading, how many people are doing our reading, our daily reading that we do? Go ahead, raise your hand up. Go ahead and hold it up high. Yeah, there you are. All right, if you're not, you can get on it real easy. You don't have to go back and catch up on anything. Just start tomorrow. Just start tomorrow. But as we are going through the reading, a couple of our young people are going through the reading too. And Max and Mia sent me a question. And I, I saw the question. I had a thing in my head. I, I kind of think I know where we're going with that. But I always like to take things back and just you know examine a little bit further, and so we examine a little bit further. And I thought this is really a fun question. I'm going to have some some uh, good time with this. I actually went down back through all the outlines that I did, and I said we've never gone in depth into this work verse yet. So we're going to change that and go into some depth in that. And that was the the part from Second Timothy two in verse 25 when we were reading Second Timothy back in February. Paul wrote this. He said, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. And their question was, doesn't God grant forgiveness and repentance if you ask for it? Isn't that a good question? (laughs) That's a good question. So it actually ties in with what we're doing here today. And so we're going to bring that on in. And um, if I have an answer for you, whenever you send a text question in, if I have an answer for you, I will text it back. But if I think it's a really good one, that I want to get, not just text it back to you and what I know, but I want to get under the anointing because it's different. When I, I answer a question under the teaching anointing, it's different than when I just send an answer to you. And so if I sense it's going to be that, I just wait. I just wait because I know better than to try and do it, do it any other way. But we call this message short people. Short people. How many short people do we have here today? Raise your hand. Short people, raise your hand up. Come on. Don't be shy. We got short people. Now, on the basis of uh, what is it that you consider yourself to be? Put it to the other way, Why do you consider yourself to be short? Short as compared to what? If you were on an island and the tallest person is five seven, how many people would no longer be short? Short is really a relative term. You look at, some people look at me and they call me tall. I am not tall. I am at best average. At best, I am average. And if you ever, uh, if you've ever watched, how many people have ever watched NBA basketball? Those are some tall people. Those are, that's a, that's a tall world right in there. But, uh, one of my favorite players who played on the 76ers way back when I, when I used to watch them. Well, one of my favorite players on there was Allen Iverson. I loved Allen Iverson because he just had this spunk. He just had this intensity for the game. He just had a way of putting himself all out in the game and I just loved that about him. Uh there are some folks you know that had to think about practice that came up and I thought that was a bunch of garbage. But um I, I just love the guy still do. To this day I still do. I still think he got some uh, I got short tripped on some things, but anyway, I want you to tell you something that you may not know unless you've ever heard of me talk about him before, but Alan and I, Alan Iverson and I have a few things in common. Basketball skill is not one of them. <laughs> I guarantee you that. He is, we're not even in the same planet as far as that is concerned, but I am as tall as Alan Iverson. If you've ever watched Alan Iverson on the court, he looks short. He is my height. He looks short because everybody else out there is so tall. That's why he looks short. There was one guy that uh, one time we took the youth over to watch one of the games for the 76ers. And they were playing the Denver Nuggets. And the Denver Nuggets at that time had a guy who made Allen Iverson look tall. I forget what his name was. I think it began with a B. You're shaking your head. You know who it is? You You can see him though too, right? Yeah, I can see him. That's it. Yes. Say the name again. Boys Boykins. Boykins. That's the one. Yeah, you. got it. That was the guy. He he made Allen Iverson look tall, but he could play basketball. But he was not as. I mean, he was more high challenged than <laughs> these guys six, seven, seven foot, seven two. I mean, there are some tall boys out there, and so Allen Iverson, you all would look at me and say, "Steve, you're tall," but if you put me on that basketball court, suddenly I become. Short, because tall and short is relative. It depends on the people that are around you. We used to have this particular guest minister who came out. Um, my wife loved having her come out because they were friends, but also because she felt tall when she was here. <laughs> yep. She unfortunately went on to be with the Lord, so we haven't had her back in case anybody was wondering why we never had her back again. But she uh, she passed on. And... Uh, But but she was actually shorter than my wife. Even with her hair up high, she was still not as tall as my wife was. But we looked at Genesis chapter 3, we saw that Adam gave in to heed a voice different from the voice that God spoke. He gave in and heeded the voice of his wife. And it's okay to heed the voice of your spouse as long as your spouse is in line with the word of God. If your spouse is not in line with the word of God and you heed the voice of your spouse, I don't care. You've, you, who you blame. It's, uh, it's not going to work. You want to make sure that you did that. Now how many, how many are familiar with Ziggy? Anybody not know Ziggy? Ziggy is a cartoon. I don't even know if he's in the papers anymore, but I put him in your bulletin today. That is the cartoon from today. Uh, he may be a throwback. I don't know if he's even still in the papers anymore, but I know when I was young, I used to watch Ziggy all the time. And we put that in there simply because Ziggy is short. <laughs> Ziggy is short. So if you know Ziggy, you may, you probably got the, the comic in there. Like I told you, we generally try and put the comic and the quote in there somehow that is relating to what we're doing here today. So we not only had Ziggy for the comic, we also had Zig Zigler for the quote. Quote. So a lot of zigging going on. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field and the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. If you were not here when we went over this, that was about two weeks ago, The curse is not something that God pronounces, my opinion, the way I look at this. The curse is not something that God pronounces upon people. The curse is something that God announces, telling you this is what's going to happen since you have entered into the realm of sin. And we spent uh, a number of, of weeks showing you why that, two weeks actually, showing you why that was. But here in this one, the idea, sin did not bring the idea of work into the world. God had put Adam on this earth and gave him a job. He said, keep the garden. Tend it. He had a job. He also had to go around naming all the animals. He was not here just to, you know, eat bonbons and sit out by the sun. But what changed was that the earth was now going to bring out thorns and thistles, not just the things that you want. And so we saw the natural side of thorns and thistles when we were looking at this two weeks ago. But there is a spiritual side. And for that, I want you to go over to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. Matthew 13, verse 24. This is parables. Another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced the crop, Then the tares also appeared, so the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, thus while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, there's a lot of details on this, and we'll, we'll probably dive into the details on it when we cover the parables later, but I just want you to see this part of it here right now. There are tares, there are, which is a type of a thorn and a thistle, but there are tares. A tare is something that looks like wheat, but is not. It will look like it when it is young, but as it grows older, there's no harvest from it. You get no fruit, so to speak, from the thing. It just takes up space and pushes out the things that you want. Pushes out the good stuff. So he says we planted good seed but then this bad seed came up. Now where did the bad seed come from? It came from an enemy. An enemy came and sowed the bear, the, 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 the seed that you didn't want, the, the tares. That's where we got the tares from. The good seed wasn't supposed to contain that. They're supposed to be able to filter that out, check that out, whatever it would be. And he just was supposed to have good seed down there. But this is what came. So an enemy came and sowed the thorn seeds. But you will notice this about the, the owner. He is more concerned about the good seed than he is about the bad. Did you pick that up? Verse 34. Jump on down to verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables and without a parable he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things kept secret from the... <clears throat> foundation of the world then Jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house and his disciples came to him saying explain to us the parable of the terrors of the field now before we go on to him explaining this notice why Jesus taught in parables Jesus taught in parables he said they did not speak to them without a parable because he doesn't really cover it in here but he tells us that there were some people who would hear but not hear There were some people who would see, but not see. Because if they did, there would become a a responsibility, a duty upon them because of the word that they heard, and they're not yielding to it. In other words, there are some tares in the field. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. So there is no room for doubt. The person sowing the seed is who? Jesus. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. So that in the field, you have sons of the kingdom and sons of the enemy, sons of the of the darkness. You have both things going on. The sons of the kingdom came from where? Jesus. They were born of Jesus, the sons of the, uh, the tares, the sons of the darkness, the enemy came and he sowed them, they are sons, they belong to him, let me read it again, the field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one, the enemy who sowed them is the devil, the enemy who sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Boy, he just identified it all, didn't he? The reapers are the angels. Everybody say this with me. The reapers are the angels. I am not an angel. Oh, I tell you what, folks, that is important. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age the Son of Man will will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend in those who practice lawlessness and will cast them in the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now you could spend some time right there just looking at things that offend. He puts up with all the things that offend until the end. A whole lot of people can't put up with it for five minutes. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus says the tares are people. They are people. Before the parable he told right before, the seed was the word. But here he's telling you the seed is people. And they're growing. They're going to become things. The seed, they are the people. As a result of sin, not only do we see thorns and thistles coming in the in the uh, in in to mess up our good crops, the good things that we want, but tares come in to mess with the good people too. How many of you have some tares in your life? We got some bad seed around there. They take our attention away from ministry. They take our attention away from the things that we're supposed to be working on. They take our resources. They will produce no harvest for the kingdom. They will look like kingdom people. They are not weeds. They are tares. If they were weeds, he would have said they were weeds. They are not weeds. They are tares. Tares look like wheat. There are people that the enemy has sown into this world that look like Christians. But are not. They will never yield a fruit. They will not make it to heaven. They will be harvested. And they will be sent to hell. Did you know this parable was that direct? It's It's got a whole lot more in it than this. and Down the road we'll have to get into that one. But they will produce no harvest for the kingdom. They will look like kingdom people. At least at the beginning. But then after a while you're going to be able to tell some differences between them. Eventually, they're going to show. This is the warning. That there are spiritual thorns. So, we also had the, in Genesis, we had the natural thorns. This is the warning that there are spiritual thorns that are going to be in your life. Now, once you hear that, you almost feel free to start saying, all right, well, there's a tear, there's a tear, there's a tear, there's a tear. Everywhere a tear. We can begin to see that. How do I not see tears everywhere I go? That's not going to be be very helpful for me. So we have a little example for us to, to help us out with, with some things. And um, Lissy has, has set this all up. And uh, Max and Lissy, come on up here for a minute. I'm going to need you for, for this. I want you to take, I've, I pulled this chair out. Everybody take a look at this, this chair. Does this chair look fairly sound? Come on up, take a look at it. Does it look pretty good? You want to touch it? Yeah, just just kind of look it over. See if you see anything wrong with the chair. Does the chair look like wheat or does it look like a tear? It looks like wheat, right? Anybody want to dare sit in it? All right, come on, Max. (laughs) Testing it out. There we go. All right, so does it feel okay? All right, lean back, relax a little bit. Whoops! No, that's alright, <laughs> <laughs> Feel pretty good? Alright. I'm gonna ask for our lights to come down just a little bit. I have something for you that I want you to do. And this is what I had to order special to have come in here. This is not a flashlight. This is what they call a black light. Everybody know what a black light does? Black light finds things that you might otherwise miss. So you know when you go into the crime scene, they have the special light, and you know what you do with the—they they do with the special light. It looks like everything's all clean, but then what happens? It's not. It's not. All right, I'm going to give each of you a turn for this. Go ahead and take a look. I want you to examine the chair, see what you find. You can get closer to it. It won't bite you. <laughs> you have to get kind of closer because the light is uh, having a tougher time with the. There's some dots on it. Yep, yeah, we got some of that. Some of the dots that this thing picks up is just some of the sparkles that's on your ladies' dresses. Mm-hmm. We do vacuum them up quite a bit, but they are just all over. Pretty sure inhale glitter is going to be all over the place in heaven, not a bit. <laughs> I don't think it's all right. Max, you take a look at it. See what you find in there. Oh, he's going to check out the... the There's a scratch. Yeah. There's a scratch, okay. <coughs> Imperfections. Take a look at the seat some more, see if you find anything on there. Closer you hold it, the better it works. Uh same, or whatever that is. Uh huh. Well, oh, what's that? Better. Just a hair? It's not just a hair. It's like different colors. When you were shining it looked like there was something up over there. Do you see something up over there? It works better if you keep it flat and even. All the way around. It'll just it'll show up stuff better. Yeah, I see some spots over there. Okay. See what else you can find on there. Maybe somebody died in it. Oh wow there's some more. Boy, it looks like they bled out all over the place. What happened? closer you are, the more you will find, because it just makes the, bright, the light brighter. Now, when I found these spots, did you see any of these spots in the normal light? No. No? We sure didn't. And if you uh, actually take some, some look, you're going to see some, some more all the way up into here. See, just little, little splashes of stuff. We don't know what it is. But uh, thank you very much, guys. We don't know what it, what it was. You can put it in, bring the house lights back up again. But what we know is that was not originally there, right? Now see, the light can come in and it can begin to show us something is here. Now more than likely, somebody was just eating on it with some food and some organic material got on there and that's all that it was. But the light won't tell you what it was. All it will tell you is something is there. And then your own imagination kind of goes off to begin to think, oh, maybe somebody died there. (laughs) Because we we went over this a couple of weeks ago. Darkness exposes what light never intended to to, to be seen. Darkness will expose this. Darkness will bring this out. God does not intend for all the imperfections in your life to come out. He intends for you to grow through them. He intends for him to, to deal with you on, on a personal level, to help you get over them. But the devil's not that. He's not that kind of a person. He wants to expose. And there are many times in the Christian body that people have stood up to expose things, to say things, to proclaim things about others that God never inspired. Because God is not here to embarrass. God is here to grow. You'll notice that in the parable that Jesus told, the concern of the owner, the one who sowed the seed, our Lord Jesus, his concern is the good seed. He is so concerned about the good seed, he would rather let the bad seed keep on going than to disrupt you. If you have ever thought, why doesn't God judge this person over here? Because God has said, I am more concerned about you and your ability to grow. And by eliminating that one over there. Because the workers, they volunteered. Hey, we'll go out there and we'll get all the tears. No, no. If you pull a tear up, you could very easily pull up one of the good ones. And I love the good ones too much to have that happen. But you see what happens, just like with Adam and Eve, darkness came along and brought some things to light. Has God really said? No, God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will know both good and evil. It's not entirely false. But he did not share it in a light that was productive. He shared it in a light that was destructive. And it hurt them. And it affected them in a bad way. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. It says, But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. If you want to find out what that verse that we brought up says, we got to know what came on before. In a great house. There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Now, let me put this into terms that you will understand. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also vessels of corning and stainless steel. How many can understand that? When you go into the kitchen and you are going to get a bowl of cereal, do you reach for the elegant china? Do you go into the reserve to where we have the gold utensils? If you have gold utensils. We actually do. We have gold utensils at home. They're just kind of, you know, they have the uh, pladium gold on it. And my wife got it from her grandparents. And so it has the pladium gold on it. And whenever we think of breaking them out and using them, we oh, we haven't cleaned them in a while. Because, you know, this gold stuff it tarnishes. So you got to be in there and you got to do all that polishing. We haven't done that in a while. So it won't get used a whole lot. But we don't go in there and just grab them for the bowl of cereal, do you? No, you go in there and you get the corny. You get the, the cheap stuff. The stuff, oh, that break. that's all right. I got them four for a buck down at the dollar store. It's no big deal. But if you get that really nice china out there, that's not so good. Our goal is to become vessels of gold and silver in the house of God. The goal is to become the vessels of gold and silver. God planted you he wants you to grow up into something, but what you grow up to is up to you. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses who? Anyone cleanses who? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just having a hard time here, in probably up here. If anyone cleanses who? You mean you're not supposed to cleanse your neighbor? Are you sure he didn't say that? Because it seems to be a lot of Christians are living like we're supposed to cleanse our neighbors. But it said, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor and sanctified and useful for the master. This means, folks, if you go out and cleanse your neighbor, that didn't qualify you to be a vessel of gold. In fact, it really didn't qualify you for much at all. May have disqualified you for some things. You got to cleanse yourself. You got to get in there. I got to find out what do I need to cleanse myself from and get rid of it. Move it out. What do I have to do? If anyone, if, if there's a condition there. Some Christians are not going to do this. And so they will be a vessel of wood and clay. Now, it is better to be a vessel of wood and clay and be in the house than be out of the house. So even if you are a vessel of wood and clay, you're in the house. That is better. (laughs) But I'd rather be a vessel for honor, wouldn't you? Many, for lack of effort or desire, will become nothing more than wood and clay, but they are still in the house. I am in the house. Glory to God. Now, there is a song... That went on some time ago. I know this, I don't know why I know this song so well, but as soon as I hear this song begin to play, and you can go ahead and start that song anytime you want to, as soon as I begin to hear this song play, I know this song. It is not a favorite song. I know no, no. song don't want no short people how many that's a new song for you never heard that song before wow that's a i don't know why i knew it so well but i knew this when i was thinking short people i I gotta find that song now he did not write this song for the purpose of making short people feel bad he wrote this song for the purpose of exposing racism that was his purpose but what he did was he picked on something that no one can really help and really affects everybody of every race. And so he then goes on to some of the other verses and he describes the problem that we're all brothers and sisters. It was a nice idea. Um, I don't love all the rest of the song, but that's <laughs> it's why we stopped it. Verse 1. But we don't want no short people around here, right? We don't want short... Now, here's the thing we look around at the people that are that are near us and I see the other Christians that are in my sphere and I see their shortcomings. I see where they don't measure up. I see where they don't become what they will be. And I can begin to see tears everywhere. Here a tear. There a tear. Everywhere. A tear not good because people that come up short, they need to be up here to be useful but they're they're down here, they're too short like we told you before, short people. I mean it's it's really relative we can go out there and we can say that Lissy is short because she's shorter than me but it doesn't mean that she's Necessarily short, because if we put her up with a bunch of folks that are the size of Chenzo, she looks pretty tall. And that doesn't mean that Chenzo is short, because if we take Chenzo and put him up with a bunch of people that are the size of Lumi, he looks pretty, he looks pretty tall too. It's all relative. What that is. Now one of the things that I brought this guy along for, this is a, obviously a piece of board that's on its way to becoming a bunk bed right here. This is uh, a certain, certain size one. Now, when I go out and I buy the wood, I go over to the Lowe's and um, I I have to go through the pile. I don't trust anyone else to buy wood. I am the only one who buys the wood for the the stuff. I don't call up Lowe's and say, get me 10 of these and 20 of these and 15 of these. I don't do it because I don't trust those guys to pick out the wood. I'm picking out my own wood. And so I go in there and so one of the toughest pieces I have to get I get 8-footers, I get 10-footers, I get 12-footers, I get 14-footers. And every once in a while, if I think I can sneak them home in my truck, I get a 16-footer. I can brace that sucker in there. It's not going anywhere, but try and explain that to a police officer. (laughs) So I don't generally try and do that. Even though the 16-footers work out the best for me, I can get every piece I need out of a 16-footer, whereas a 12-footer only produces certain ones, 10-footer, others, 14-footer. Each one has its own things that it will do. But of all the things that I buy, the 12-footers are the most, are the pickiest. Because when I cut a 12-foot board, my goal when I buy that is to make sure that the ends are good, that the ends are perfect, that the grain is good. I'm looking for certain things in the wood to make sure that it's going to be up to par when I get it in. But when I bring home a 12-foot board, I actually, I have a way of cutting this. I have a spacer block and I take that spacer block and I push it up against the 75-inch Uh, post uh, marker that I have. I have a marker. It's a solid marker. I drop it in place and I just take that board and just slide it right up to the marker and then I cut and every board that I cut that is 75 inches is exactly 75 inches because if any one, any one is a quarter inch is an eighth of an inch off. If I have one board, one eighth of an inch off, the bed will not work. So when I get out, wherever I go, Every single 75 inch board has got to be exactly 75 inches. It cannot be off or the bed will squeak. The bed will not function the way that I want it to. It'll be safe, but it won't function the way I want it to. So I have to get those 75 inch boards. They're the toughest ones for me to get. So what I do with a 12 foot board is that I take the spacer, push it up against the 75 inch block. And it's a spacer for a 68-inch post. And when I cut that, I then I just have to cut off the two ends. And so I take the 68-inch post and I stack them all up, but then I eventually flip them around and put it up against a 68-inch post. And guess how much left over I have when I slice that thing down? A little bit over a third of an inch. That's it. When I take the board that's going to be a 75-incher, and I throw that in and I slice it off, I have close to a half inch, which means on the board that I'm cutting, I have a total of about three-quarter inches waste in a 12-foot board. Now, I, have to, I, I go to the store and I look at them. I examine the ends because if the ends are split, this board will not yield what I want it to. So I try and, and work all that out make sure all that's taken care of. But every once in a while you get it on home and you start running the cut and when you run that cut I take that little little board that's a third of an inch thick and every time I cut every time I cut these this is what I do. It's it's just it's so much ingrained in me. I just do it without even thinking it. I take the waste piece, I put it onto the bench that the miter saw sits on and I lean on it with my thumb. Because I want to find out are there any imperfections in that waste piece, because if there are, and the thing splits, then more than likely I have a split in the big piece, and it's going to cause me problems later on. So if it breaks, I then have to examine the big piece. And if that thing breaks, whether it's a 68-inch side or it's a 75-inch side, I have to cut more off of it, and it will no longer be good for a 75 or for a 68. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll take that 75-inch board and I'll cut it down to 70 inches because I sometimes do 70-inch posts. I cut it, and I look at the waist. Does the waist split on me? If it does, we've got to cut it down a little bit more and then a little bit more. Now, when you're doing something with a 75, you've got all these other stops that you can make until you can find something. But I brought this one along particularly because this is one of the shorter pieces that we use. It's not the shortest piece, but it's one of the shortest pieces, shorter pieces that I use. And it's one of the short pieces that I planned for. When I have a 10-foot board, this is what I have left over after I cut off the 75-inch board. I have this, and I have a, a good, but I have a several inches here, so I can I can have some uh, dead spot on the side and cut it off. <coughs> but if I cut this off on the end, and that end has, has a split in it, this is no longer good for what I want to use it for. So what I have to do is I have to cut it down to something smaller. And then if that doesn't work, I have to cut it down to something smaller. But every once in a while I run into a spot where I get like a 45 inch piece or a 50 inch piece and it's too short to become one of my stops at 53 inches. It's too short for that and there's a whole lot of waste to get down into this. So you know what I sometimes do with them? I put them aside and I wait because there may come a request that someone has for something special and I need a board between 38 and 53. And so I let that board sit around for a little while and wait. Because you see, the board is too short to become what I wanted. But it's still possible to become something useful. Many times, Christians, we look at each other and we measure each other to be too short. And instead of putting us into a place we discard us. We're discarded. Now here's the funny thing about wood. If I take that 45 inch piece that's too long to be cut down into this too short to be made into a 53 inch ladder rung that I sometimes use on full size beds and it sits there for too long you may not know this about wood but if wood sits by itself for a long period of time anybody take a guess as what happens? becomes warped. It will begin to curl. Sometimes it begin to... That's the worst one when they begin to curl and the edges begin to come up to one side. Sometimes they twist. Either way, it will become unusable. If I let it sit there for too long, it will become unusable. And so what I have to keep in mind is if I put a board off to the side that's 45 inches, 48 inches, something like that, I have to keep in my mind how long has it been there because if I wait too long to use it, it will be useless for me. If every time I look at that board, it's too short for what I want it to be, I never look at what it can be. And it will eventually become useless, become warped, and it will be discarded. We do that sometimes with Christians. We've measured them to be too short to be useful in our life. And so we have put them off on the side because they're not useful for anything and pretty soon they become warped. They're not good for anything anymore. There's a lot of short people in our life. These are people that are Christians, but we measure them as coming up short. I measure them as not being what I need them to be, what I think God expects them to be. They're short. They're short They're short people. Don't need no short people around here. Mm-mm. These short people got little eyes. With them little shoes. We start talking about the short people. Thinking about the short people. And they become despised in our eyes. And see, I have become a judge of that person. I have decided that this is a terror. And yet, in the parable, who is the one who harvests the tares? Last I checked, we are not angels. Stop acting like one. He says in verse 22, Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. didn't say that they're perfect. It said that they call on the Lord out of a pure heart this is what you do. Flee also useful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call in the Lord out of a pure heart. It is more important that people's heart be right than their actions. It is more important that people's heart be right than their doctrine. you got a heart that's right. You can fix it. You can fix the other stuff. But avoid... We're getting close to our verse here. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. Now, how many of you have people in your family that you know when you get around them, they are going to generate some strife? In fact, if you got out of a family get-together and nobody got mad at each other, you are like, Whoo! <laughs> Boy, we dodged that one, right? You know that there's some people in your family who know how to generate strife. And all you need is for somebody to come up with the right question. Well, what do you think about this? Oh, well, we are in, we are almost through this event. And then somebody has to go and ask that question. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. If you are going to have, people will ask this, what is a foolish and an ignorant dispute? generally one is going to generate strife. Think of it this way. How many of you can think of right now, you can think of a question that if it came up in your family gathering would generate strife. But it is a question you will have a legitimate conversation with with other people. It's not the question. It's the end result. It's going to generate strife. In the atmosphere of strife, how much learning goes on? Zero. How many people change? I'm not changing my view. Nothing's going to change in there, so it's a foolish and ignorant dispute. Because I know that it's all that's going to come out of this is strife. It's not going to help. We're not going to produce anything good. If, if I were to go into a church that does not believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and I were to go in, they would say, Steve, we would love to have you come on out. Come on out to our church. We want you to teach on, on, on some things. We think that you uh, understand uh, some things in the Word. We'd love to have you come on over and to do that. And I go on over and I say, what should I do? I know they need to know what God says about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to let them know what the Word of God has to say about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How much good is going to come out of this meeting? None at all. Because I go in there knowing that it's going to generate strife. I would be foolish and I would be ignorant to do so. Don't be doing that. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Oh, that just eliminated a whole mess of us, didn't it? But be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. Don't quarrel over things that are just generating strife doesn't mean that you can't have a different opinion on someone, but if it gets to the place of, of strife, you're going to get what's called a quarrel and you're just fighting back and forth on the thing and that's not going to help anybody out at all. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and patient. This is teaching you how you are to deal with the people that are in your life that are Christians. A servant of the Lord, which all of us should consider ourselves to be, must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Gentle. It's more important that you be gentle than you go into something that generates strife but stand up for the things of God. It's more important that you be gentle. Be gentle to all, able to teach. <coughs> purpose here is to teach and to be patient. If you're going into a situation, you know, I can't be patient with that, then uh, don't do it. Don't, don't get involved in that. Uh, there are some times that people I know I have no patience with them. I know they should know better. Especially Raymond students. I've I've talked with some Raymond students and I think we both had the same education. We both know some of the same things and <laughs> I don't have as much patience with them when they get off and they start doing some stuff. It's like you know better. I know you know better. I know you were taught better than this. So sometimes when I get in a situation like that if I can't be if I know I cannot be patient then I'll just back down on this. Now first 23 and 24 are about our interactions with others like co-workers got co-workers in the kingdom, bosses, neighbors, parents, mentors, such things like that. These are the situations that we're in where we need to have these things going on. I wrote this and I want you to make sure you get this. Correction is not received in an atmosphere of strife. Correction is not received in an atmosphere of strife. If I allow strife to come into the situation, my purpose is no longer correction. Well, amen, Pastor Steve. That, that just was great. I really appreciate it. Let me say this again to you. Correction is not received in an atmosphere of strife. Amen. <laughs> it's not. How many of y'all know you have been in an atmosphere and there is strife and what do you do? You shut down. You are in self-protect mode. I am trying to preserve whatever dignity I've got. I am trying to preserve something inside of myself, feeling good about myself, whatever it might be. But once I get into that protect mode, I am receiving nothing from you. So there is no longer correction that is there. If we allow a situation and we're trying to be the teacher, we're trying to be the patient one, we're trying to be the one to help the situation and we allow it to get to a place of strife, I, my goal is no longer correction. Just admit it, it's not. Once you get into a strife situation, I don't care what situation it is. Let me read them over again. I don't care if it's a coworker in the kingdom. I don't care if it's a boss. I don't care if it's a neighbor. I don't care if you're the parent. I don't care if you're a mentor. You allow strife to get in there. No correction is happening. If the genuine goal is correction, continuing the way that generates strife will not produce that goal. But if we continue to do the things that bring the strife, we cannot say, well, I'm here to correct. I'm here to try and help. But they're just not letting me do it. No, that's not your goal. Your goal is that you want your viewpoint announced. You want your viewpoint pushed going to generate strife, you're not there to help. Without the gentleness, teaching, and patience, such a goal will not be attained. Verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth. All right. now we're on our verse. We need to get all those things in there so we can get to this verse and we understand where it's coming from. Because I gotta know, if I ask God for repentance, is it granted? Or is it, well, if God feels like it. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. These are people that are in opposition to the kingdom of God. These are people that are in opposition to the things of God. They may not intend to be, but they are. And so you are in a position to try and help that out and turn, turn that about. In humility, that's the first thing. We've got to be humble about this. If you are prideful going in, you will generate strife. That's just it's just what happens. It's kind of like, you know, <clears throat> if you go up to an electric socket and you stick your finger in there, what will happen? What will happen? You will get shocked. You shouldn't be surprised. You should not be surprised. How many people have never stuck your finger in an electric socket? There's a few people right here, right there. I cannot raise my hand on that one. Because I was curious. As a, as a young young guy, I was curious, so I just stuck my finger in there to find out what happened. I found out. <laughs> now, I have been shocked other times since then not sticking my finger in there. There are other ways that you can accomplish this as well. <laughs> Some of them are productive, but uh, they just went, it just went south. That's all. Trying to fix something. But in humility, correcting those who are in opposition... If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. They're in opposition to the things of God. They're in opposition to what God wants to do. And you are there to be able to correct them. That means that they are either acting against the kingdom. They are teaching things against the kingdom. Or they are somehow doing something against the kingdom. And you're there to try and help it out. Whether they are ignorant or whether they just didn't learn, we don't, it doesn't really put all those qualifications on there. But it just says you in humility go in there and correct them. Those that are in opposition. If God, and I looked this up in a whole lot of translations, whole lot of them, there's not a single translation I could find that was different from this. If God perhaps will grant them repentance. Which means, come on, just say it out loud. He may not. Isn't that that what it is? He may not. Paul. This is Paul writing. Paul is writing to a pastor. He's telling them, alright, there are some of these situations God will not grant repentance to. Huh. But, that's not all that he said. We got, if you're going to fully understand what is said here, you've got to take in the whole verse. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. It does not say grant them repentance so they can get into heaven, does it? Did you notice that? It did not say grant them repentance so that they can get into heaven. It did not say, grant them repentance that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. It said, so that they may know the truth. Now, sometimes I like to play this game. Probably no one else in this room plays this game, but I like to play this game. I sometimes, I read over a verse like this, and I try and I say to myself, what Greek word is here? What Greek word is that? I just play that game. I just look at that and say, ha, ah, I wonder what Greek word is in this verse. And I saw the word no, and so this is how I like to play the game. What Greek verse, what Greek word is in this verse? And so I began to go through them. In case you are wondering, there are eight words for no in the Greek. Eight words for no in the Greek. So when I get a word, and I know there's a number of different ones on this, i try and play the game. All right, let me get the context here. Which word is it that he's... Is he talking about ginosko? Is he talking about oida? Is he which, What is he talking about? What kind of knowledge is there? And so in my mind, I said, I think this is epignosis. That's what I said. I said that to my... And I looked it up, and guess what? I was right. <laughs> I was right. I got it right, which one that was. And it's important for us to know what this is. Epignosis means to do more, a more special understanding of the object under under investigation. A more special understanding of the object, in this case, truth. What he is saying to them here is that so that God may grant to them a more special understanding of the truth. Oh, did that just change this for you? You see, because what they have done is they have done actions, they have spoken words, they have put forth teachings, whatever it might be. They have done these things based on a false understanding. And they have created some damage in the kingdom of God by doing so. And God says, we are not looking at granting them repentance. Maybe they might get into heaven. We're not talking about maybe we'll grant them repentance that they will receive forgiveness. What God is saying is maybe I will grant them repentance and allow them to see this truth better, more accurately. Now, why would God say that? Let's say that you have a eight-year-old boy in the house. Eight-year-old boys, we are starting to get to the, to the point of, of, uh, of wanting to learn how things work, how things come apart. Now, Max is older than that. Max, how old are you exactly? 13. 13. See, he's a little bit older than that, a lot older than that. The older they get, we just, we boys, we're just curious. We love taking things apart. Girls sometimes do too, but boys, it's just in us. We love to take things apart. Some boys like to take them apart more than others. We like tools. We never outgrow that. We like tools. It is in us to, to do it. So if you have a young boy, let's say he's eight years old, and he's expressing an interest to learn some tools, and you teach him how to use a tool, like a drill. Drill can be very useful. Drill may to, to screw. And they take that drill, put a drill bit in it, and drill some holes in the furniture. Are you, as a parent, apt to teach them more things about tools? Anybody going to do that? If you taught them where the paintbrushes are, and they took that knowledge, grabbed the paintbrushes, and painted the kitchen floor. Painted the car. Would you grant them access to the paintbrushes again. No, you would take all the paintbrushes and all the paint, you would put them up higher, you would lock them, and you would keep them from it, right? Until such a time as what? Come on, everybody say it. Until such a time as you grant them repentance for what they've done. Well, amen. That is good stuff. right? Man, I'll tell you what. What God is saying is you took what you had and it was false and you did some damage with it. Do you think I'm going to give you what is true and see what you can do with it? No. uh, Let's see what kind of correction you receive. Let's see what kind of things you're able to to receive from the people that I put around you. And on the basis of that, maybe I will grant you repentance in that I will trust you again with this and give you even greater knowledge on it. Now, does that make more sense with the God that you know? That they may come to their senses. Verse 26, this is something else here. So that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses. This is what God says about them. These Christians are going nuts out there doing crazy stuff. He said, come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. So they're in the kingdom. They think they're in the kingdom. But they've been taken captive by the devil because he has given them an understanding that has caused them to say, do, teach, minister in a way that is wrong. Case in point with an example. We had Adam and Eve were given knowledge by God. And the devil came along and used them as a tool, took them captive to accomplish his will. What was the devil's will? He wanted the authority that Adam had. So he sent the serpent in they accepted the snare of the devil and they were being taken captive by him to do his will. Other examples you can see this too. But what about Cain? Cain, he had the knowledge of God. Here's what the sacrifice is. Do this as the sacrifice will be accepted. He didn't do it. And then the thoughts came. Abel's your problem. God shouldn't be making you do all these kind of things. And he went out and he killed his brother. He became a tool of the devil and he accomplished his will. This is what they, this is what is out there. This is what we're facing. And God says, I may not grant repentance to them that they will get the knowledge and understanding that they had before. I may not give them anything more until they show me that they can handle it. But perhaps if they receive correction, perhaps the way that people are coming around them helping them out. If they receive that, then I may just grant them repentance and let them know more deep things of the truth of God. The devil puts pride as our goal instead of humility. Yes, it's to pursue thoughts like, I'm right. I need to get them to see this. I need to stop this behavior that they're doing. Because this behavior, it's just got to stop. We get to think that, but I'm actually being moved more in pride I haven't done the thing in humility. I've accepted something from the devil and I'm being used to promote his kingdom even though I think I'm still doing the things of God. I put this in your outline for you. With ourselves to, or others, if all we do is stop the behavior, if all we do, if you're looking at, doesn't matter who it is, anybody that's in your care, anybody that you think that you're there to minister to, mentor, whatever situation it might be, if we, if all we do is stop the behavior, Without changing the heart, the results are merely temporary. That's all it is. If all you do is stop the behavior without changing the heart, the result is merely temporary. If you only temporarily stop the behavior of a child, if you only temporarily stop the behavior of an employee, if you only temporarily stop the behavior of one you are mentoring, whatever whatever you want to put in there, if you only temporarily stop it, you don't change the heart. problem is going to resurface but it's going to be worse because right now you were able to suppress that action down the road you probably won't be able to this is a person who is opposition to God they've done things against his kingdom they perverted the light they have corrupted his people and they did it with things that were based on supposed to be based on the truth what was false held them captive by the devil To a way of life, a treatment of others, or a proclaiming of satanic things as divine. I think I left that in your outline, but if not, I'll give it to you again. What was false held them captive by the devil. To a way of life, a treatment of others, or a proclaiming of satanic things as divine. That's what the false thing held them captive by. I'm going to read this to you from Weist. This is Weist's translation of verse 25 and 26. In meekness, correcting those who set themselves in opposition, if perchance God might grant them repentance, resulting in a precise experiential knowledge of the truth, and that they may return to soberness out of the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him, returning to soberness as to serve the will of that one God. The goal is God wants to get them back into the camp and serving Him. But you see, there is a need for mercy. And when the devil gets you taken captive, you will find that mercy goes. I put this in there. This is the, this is something I learned a long time ago. I try and keep myself remembering of it. The more falsehoods in our life, the more falsehoods in our life, the less mercy we are willing to show. The more falsehoods that are in our life, the less mercy we are willing to show. I've used this as a barometer for me. If I find myself being less merciful to the people that are around me, I don't look at them. I look at me and I say, what falsehoods have I accepted? What is it that I have brought into my life that is not true? Because if I'm not walking in mercy, something in my life is false Somehow a thing that is false has got in. Take a look back at the garden again. Something false got into Adam. How much mercy did he show to Eve? Throw another bus. The woman you gave me. When the falsehood worked into Saul, how much mercy did he show to David? None. When the falsehood worked into David's life over the incident with Bathsheba, how much mercy did he show to her husband. I could keep going. When falsehoods work into your life, you will show mercy less. If you ever find yourself showing less mercy to the people that are around you, the people that are under you, if you find yourself snapping at them, just not having any mercy, not having any patience with them, if you if you are finding yourself that way, then know this, somewhere something false has gotten into your life. It might be with the people that are around you. It might be with your friends, coworkers, family, children, mentees, something like that. But you've allowed something false. Take a look. Let's take a look at it with a friend. You have a friend. You're a close friend, and then all of a sudden, somebody tells you something about that friend that is false. That is not true. What happens when you hear that? Do you know what they said about you? <gasps> what did they say? Well, they said, and they tell you what they. <gasps> And now, all of a sudden, you have less mercy for that person. You have less patience for that person because something false came in. How much mercy did Judas walk in after he took in some false things? How much mercy did the people who opposed Paul walk in after they took in the false belief that what he was teaching was not right? fact they showed so little mercy they chased after him from city to city to make sure they could spread their venom tell you there is a direct correlation between how much false is in your life and how much mercy that you show let me give you a positive example how much falseness is in God how much mercy does he show Micah 6 and verse 8. This is one of those refrigerator verses. If it's not on your refrigerator, you might want to put it there. I'm going to read it to you in two two versions because the second version helps out. Here's the the new King James. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Three things. Three things. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Now, the New Living puts it this way. If you're going to put it up on your refrigerator, put it up on this one. Know, O oh people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what He requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I'll tell you what, if you could get those three things down in your life, if you could be walking according to those three things, you will change your life. The people in your life will not frustrate you, will not anger you, will not drive you up a wall you will have more love for your father you will have more love for your calling you will have more enjoyment out of life if you can just do these three things you could always add some more things to it but if you can get these three things down this is what he is saying there's three things he's telling you that are good here's the first one do what is right if we do what is right we're doing his commands if we do his commands we're showing people what? that I love him To love mercy. God loves mercy. There's a whole lot of times when we get false things that work inside of us. I don't love mercy anymore. I love judgment. The more you love judgment, the more false it is in you. It's driving you away from mercy. And third, to walk humbly with your God. God resists the proud. Doesn't it say that? One more verse I want to read for you. James 2 and verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me read to you now in the New Living. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. (laughs) There will be what? No mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful... God will be merciful when He judges you. So keep that in mind. If you're going to execute judgment on others. There's no mercy. Guess what happens? Sow seeds of mercy. We've talked about that before. The goal of the enemy is to get and to keep us thinking that everyone is a tear. That's the goal of the enemy. He wants you to see tears everywhere. Tears here, tears there. The purpose of the kingdom is to look on all with a concern for the good seed. Just like the master does. The more falsehoods that are in our life, the less mercy we are willing to show. he said, believe something false about your spouse, see how much mercy you're willing to show. Believe something false about your coworker, just see how much mercy you're willing to show. You get more judgmental, less mercy. You don't want to, you don't want to walk that way. Don't let in what is false. If you have let it in, these are some of the indicators. These are some, it's kind of like the check engine light. This is your check engine light for your Christian walk. I'm not showing a whole lot of mercy. Check the engine. Check the engine. It's blinking. You all know the check engine light? If it's solid, not a big deal. get it there eventually. What happens when the check engine light is blinking? You got a big problem and you may want to pull over. blinking blinking light when the Pharisees let in their false doctrine about what the Bible taught about what Moses taught they constantly pass judgment on Jesus actions they pass judgment on Jesus healings they pass judgment on his teaching they even pass judgment on who he ate with do you want to be a Pharisee or do you want to be a Jesus Judas, when he let him what was false, he passed judgment on Mary when she put the oil on his feet. He passed judgment on Jesus, the way he was going about the ministry. And he also seems to so have decided that what was false in the Pharisees was true because he's the one that they went to. Second Timothy 3. Now as John A's and John Breeze resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men are corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. These are some of the magicians that opposed Moses back in the uh, book of Exodus. They resisted the truth. And what Timothy is doing here is he's saying these teachers oppose the truth just like John A's and John Breeze did. These teachers that have come out here, these false teachers that are in there that he just talked about in Second Timothy chapter 2. These teachers oppose the truth just as Janese and Jambres did. When you do not walk in mercy, folks, you're putting yourself in the category of two magicians who resisted Moses in the book of Exodus. That's in the exact same passage, just a few verses down. The enemy plants thorns, thistles for the purpose of disrupting what is good, disrupting the things that are growing, and in the end to disrupt the harvest. God has you here to keep the good seed growing. Keep the good seed growing. Don't pass judgment on who is bad seed, but still be able to distinguish the light from the darkness and help to pull those out of darkness back to our, back to the light. That's what we need to do. Look to extend mercy. If every time you see one of the other brothers or sisters in the body, one of the other seeds that God has planted, if every time you see one of those seeds do something and you see nothing but thorns, well, that was good, but... How many have ever had a boss and every time they came out and they said something good to you, well, that was good, but... You get to the point where you shut down, don't you? You shut down. I don't want to, oh, here they come. I don't care what they say. I'm not listening. You have shut down from receiving them. And whenever they come in, what are they going to do? Strife. It's useless conversation. You're not going to receive from that boss. We've all had bosses like that. Don't like those kind of bosses. They want bosses to come in and say, that was great. Really appreciate it. Oh, the way that you did that, I really appreciate that. Yeah, but no, 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 but thank you very much for doing that. And then goes off. Oh, you see, if you keep having strife in your life, the problem is not always the other person, but the only one that you can deal with is you. My wife told me this one time when I was, we were raising the kids. And you know, my daughter, she was a piece of cake. I tell people all the time, she's easy. (coughs) Spanked her, I think, two times. And that's just because I wanted to see what it was like. <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs> there were two times, bothered me greatly to have to do it. Didn't usually have to do it. All you had to do was tell her, you know, you were disappointed and she'd, she'd up and change. Christian, not so much. I, I don't know how many times I spanked him. We had a tough time uh, correcting him and bringing him in. But my wife, one time, she pulled me aside and she said, you're making him angry. In other words, I was generating strife. I wasn't correcting. It's not his job to take care of that with mine. So I listened to her. All right, what can I do to make this better? So I, I found some way. I, I, didn't, I didn't look at this and say, well, I'm doing this wrong. I'm looking at this, what can I do? not generate the strife because in an atmosphere of strife there's no learning there's no correction nothing is going on we're not helping the situation we're just making it worse what can i do so i sought after god on it how can i do how can i help this what can we do and we were able to get to the point where we were able to make correction where we were able to do some things and to help that thing out but if you're always in a situation where there is strife, there will not be any learning. There will not be any changing. There will not be any correcting. Both people will get more angry and both people will not enjoy what is going on. You will quit that job because you will say, I'll take a job for less money and not have to deal with that. If, the, if you are always in a job and all they tell you is how you come up short, you will eventually give up. Try it. Just like it is with Spouses. If your spouse is always telling you what you do wrong, you will eventually get to the place where you will say, can't do anything right. I give up and just stop trying. Kind of programmed that way. But you can get in there and you can find out how to change it, how to alter this thing. Would you all stand up with me? Today is our communion Sunday. Our ushers are getting the communion elements ready to pass out. Understand that when Jesus walked in this earth, there's a whole lot of things he could have done to correct. There's a whole lot of things he saw in his disciples and he saw in the people that he could have corrected that he could have said this is not right, this is not lining up. But he kept things out of the area of strife and he worked with his Disciples to mentor them and to make them into fishers of men. Go ahead, usher, and bring our, bring the, uh, communion elements up. And go ahead and distribute them. That's his goal. That's what he wanted to do. God has given you the ability to discern what is good, what is bad, what is light, and what is darkness. But it's up to you to do this in a way that is through humility that is without pointless discussion that is without strife it is up to you you got to be the one who brings that in when the serpent came into the garden and he spoke those words he sowed the seeds that eventually turned into strife between Adam and Eve so that Adam says, Well, the woman you gave me. And the woman didn't like being blamed a whole lot either, and she blamed the serpent. Because strife comes in. Love covers a multitude of sins, strife, evil, all these things try to expose it in a way that is not helpful. If you have situations in your life where there's strife at work, in the neighborhood, in the family, wherever it might be, there's strife going on, get before God and say, God, what is it? Thank you, sir. What is it that I can do? What is it that I can do to eliminate the strife? Because the word of God says that if you will purge these things from yourself, you will make yourself into what? A vessel of gold a vessel of silver I guarantee you when we get to heaven if we've been one of the ones that have been creating strife in our situations we are not a vessel of gold and we are not a vessel of silver it should be that when you come on the scene strife can be eliminated alleviated taken down Jesus knew when he came onto this earth there was strife between man and God and he came to help that out to bring unity to bring peace to us as we eat together let's remember that Jesus first off sacrificed his body it was beaten it was bruised it was pierced he gave up his body for us that all those things that we can be redeemed from sickness disease the curse it's put on his body instead of ours Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant. This is my blood. No longer bulls and goats. This is the blood of the Lamb of God. His blood is going to be poured out on the altar for us. It's all we need. Let's drink together and remember everything we needed for redemption is done by His blood. Glory to God. Father, I thank you that we can take the strife that is in our situations and we can be an instrument to alleviate them. We can be one removes the strife, it looks for things that are productive, it looks for ways that we can teach and be patient, and help to bring people out of what they are caught up by the devil to do, and trapped by him. we can help them, I thank you for it, I give you the praise and the glory, in the name of Jesus we pray, Amen. Tomorrow.